Happy Sunday, church family, and a big OCC welcome to all of our guests who are joining us online this weekend. We're so excited that you're doing so. Well, today we're going to start a new message series called Biblical Church Leadership. Why a series on church leadership? Well, I believe the answer to that question is twofold. First, if you've been part of the local church for any length of time, you've had your own personal experience in how you've interacted with church leadership, whether that's been positive or negative. Second, there's a large amount of scripture dedicated to church leadership. So it's important that we talk about these things and seek to be the kind of church that God has called us to be. Over the years, my own experience with church leadership looks something like this. So I was baptized into Christ on July 22nd, 2001. I actually remember it like it was yesterday. I was 13 years old and was going into the seventh grade. And from seventh through 12th grade, I was involved in three different youth groups. So shortly after I was baptized, my family moved from North Oklahoma City to South Oklahoma City. And I started attending the youth group at the church my parents would go to. But as I got older, I decided to go to youth group with some friends. So from 7th to 12th grade, I can honestly say I never thought about the topic of church leadership. It wasn't even on my radar as something that I felt like I needed to learn. In fact, it wasn't until the summer after my freshman year in Bible college, uh, when I was interning at a small Christian church, it was Antioch Christian Church, it wasn't until this time that the topic of church leadership came up. And the only reason it came up was because I tend to be a very observant person. And what I observed was this. Every youth group, every church I'd ever been a part of, all operated differently on the leadership level. I believe there's a lot of freedom given to church leaders and how the local church can operate on a daily basis. But this would have more to do with the type of church model the church is. So, for example, if the church is a church plant, You know, if it's a new church or a multi-site church with multiple campuses, maybe it's a church that has to meet in secret because it's in a location where the persecution of Christians is very common. And maybe it's a small church, a large church, or even a medium-sized church. Depending on the size of the church, the location of the church, or the community where the church is planted, church leaders have a lot of freedom in deciding how the church will operate on a daily basis. But this is not what we're going to talk about in this series. So the summer after my freshman year in college, I realized I'd spent a considerable amount of time in three different churches that all had a different understanding of church leadership. And because of this, they all valued leadership differently and gave responsibility and authority to individuals in the church differently. So my curiosity and observant nature led me to this question. Why are so many churches set up differently on the leadership level? You know, some churches have a senior pastor who calls all the shots. Some churches have a church board that votes on all the decisions that need to be made. Some churches have elders who shepherd the church and deacons who serve in the church. And other churches are a combination of everything I've just listed, and then some. And with a church on almost every corner where I'm from, I began to think, surely this isn't God's design or intent for his church. And as I became more familiar with what God's word has to say about church leadership, it turns out God actually has a lot to say about how the church should be led and governed. My experience early on in these three different churches ultimately led me to God's word, where I read about biblical church leadership for the very first time. 
So over the next four weeks, we're going to unpack what God's word has to say about church leadership. When teaching on the topic of church leadership, the aim should always be to honor and glorify God, uh, to grow in how we do ministry together as the church, and to disciple others as they grow in their love for God and for people. Today, we're going to talk about the important truth of how Jesus is the head of the church and what that means. And then over the next few weeks, we'll talk about the role of elders, deacons, and church members, the people who make up the church. Now, I'm going to say up front, there's going to be some things that we read about in God's word, some things that we talk about that our church does very well. And then there's going to be some other things that we're going to realize we need some intentional course correction. So I'll give us a disclaimer today. This actually comes from pastor and author Francis Chan. I heard this in one of his messages and thought, man, that's appropriate for this series. And that is this. When we disagree with God's word, we should always assume that we are wrong. So my prayer for our church over the next four weeks is that the Holy Spirit would convict us in the areas where we need conviction and that he would lead us as we seek to be obedient to God's word. Now, before we begin talking about church leadership and and the important truth of how Jesus is the head of the church, it's also important that we first define what we mean by church. The church is the community of all Christians throughout history who've been loved and saved by Jesus, including the people in the Old Testament who believed in God. Now, the word church with a capital C it refers to every person of any age, race, and culture whose sins are forgiven through the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is commonly called the universal church. But we also have smaller groups of the universal church that we call congregations or the local church that meets together each week for the teaching and preaching of God's word, for fellowship, worship, prayer, communion, and then are sent out as kingdom workers as the hands and feet of Jesus. Now Luke writes in Acts chapter 2 verse 42, he says that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing in meals including the Lord's supper and to prayer. And then in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25, we read, "And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Friends, it is vital to the health and mission of the church that we meet together each and every week. We come together to encourage one another, to build each other up in the Lord, and to be sent out as kingdom workers. Now, the example that's been given to us by the early church is that personal struggles, spiritual struggles, persecution, or any kind of difficulty should never be used as an excuse for not gathering together. Instead, as difficulties and life struggles happen, we should make an even greater effort to be faithful in gathering as the church. I know this season, that has been very difficult. It's been difficult to determine how to navigate the waters that we're going through, especially with this current pandemic. Now, many of the letters in the New Testament were written to help inform direct and encourage the local church and how we're called to build authentic biblical community as the family of God, serving together and living our lives on mission as we share the good news of Jesus and make disciples. God's word is clear. 
And every Christian is part of the larger church, the universal church, but that we're also given the responsibility and the privilege of using our individual spiritual gifts to serve God as we participate in the life and ministry of the church. And as we participate in the local church, God is glorified and his people are built up as we serve one another in love. You know, God's word calls it sin when someone claims to be a Christian but is not actively involved in the local church. In the New Testament book of 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it says, But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then in 1 John chapter 4, verse 21, it says, And he has given us this command, Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. You know, it's easy for us to say we love God when that love doesn't cost us anything more than attending a church service or listening to a message podcast each week. And we should do these things. We should attend service. We should listen to messages. But the real test of our love for God is shown in how we love and care for his people. See, we can't effectively love God's people when we aren't actively participating in the ministry of the local church. So I'll say it again. It's vital to the health and mission of the church that we meet together each and every week. And as we come together, we're able to hear the teaching and preaching of God's word. Uh, We're able to fellowship with one another, worship together, pray, uh, break bread or partake in communion and serve God with our gifts. So the church is the community of all Christians throughout history who've been loved and saved by Jesus Christ. So an important question today, who is in charge of the church? Who do we look for for leadership and direction in the church? Well, God's word tells us that Jesus is the head of the church and serving under Jesus are elders, the shepherds of the church, deacons, servants of the church, and church members. Men, women, and children who love Jesus and serve God with their gifts, leading the church in its mission and ministry. Today, we're going to talk about how Jesus is the head of the church and what that means. If you would, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. Really, the bulk of the text comes from Ephesians today. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. It says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. And then Ephesians 4 verse 15 says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And finally, Ephesians 5, verse 23. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. So Jesus is Lord and has been given all authority over all things, complete authority. And in these particular verses, the Apostle Paul gets specific in pointing out Christ's relationship to the church. Jesus is the head of the church. So there's three truths that I want to talk about this morning. If you're taking notes, the first one is this. As the head of the church, Jesus is the ultimate authority over the church. As the head of the church, Jesus is the ultimate authority over the church. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. 
So this particular verse would have been especially meaningful to early Jewish Christians. For them, the highest human authority was the high priest. And then for early Christians in general, the highest human authorities were God's apostles. But Jesus, God's apostle, meaning the one who is sent, or God's messenger and high priest, is the ultimate authority over the church. Now the writer of Hebrews tells us to think carefully about Jesus. This means to ponder carefully and to focus on the true significance of Jesus, who he is, and what he's accomplished on the cross. You see, when we come together as the church, we have the opportunity to do just that. But we should also focus on Jesus on our own time when we're reading God's word in private, serving in various ministries in the church, or just spending time with our families, going about our day. One commentary writer said that in Jesus, we have one to whom we should listen, God's messenger, through whom we come to the Father our great high priest, and to whom we give our complete obedience. Jesus is entrusted with God's entire house, the church. So let me reread that. In Jesus, we have one to whom we should listen, through whom we come to the Father, and to whom we give our complete obedience. So thinking carefully about Jesus, this should affect our entire lives every single day. It affects our decisions, our thoughts, and our actions. As the head of the church, Jesus is the ultimate authority over the church. Truth number two, if you're taking notes today, that as the head of the church, Jesus is the one who builds the church. As the head of the church, Jesus is the one who builds the church. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. uh, This is a very familiar verse. It says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So the rock on which Jesus would build his church, um, we believe, is threefold. Number one, Jesus himself, his work of salvation by dying for us on the cross and being raised from death. Two, he calls out Peter. Peter's name actually means the rock. Peter was the first great leader in the Jerusalem church, an apostle of Jesus. And then three, the confession of faith that Peter gave and that all true believers would give forever. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4-6, through 6, Peter actually reminds all Christians that they are the church, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. That means that it's all because of Jesus that we can be reconciled to God and adopted into the family of God, which is the church. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, that foundation. Jesus is the one who builds the church, and the powers of hell or death will not conquer it. Death cannot conquer the church because Jesus defeated death on the cross. And in Christ, we have the promise of eternal life because of his work on the cross. Jesus is the one who builds the church. Now, the third and final truth, I think this might be the longest point that I've ever given uh, that you can fill in. So if you don't have time to fill this in, that's okay. I just didn't know any other way to say this. But truth number three, As the head of the church, Jesus is the good shepherd who lays his life down for the church, the great shepherd who cares for the church, and the chief shepherd who is preparing a place in heaven for his church and will one day return in glory. So in Jesus' day, shepherds guarded their sheep. 
They led their sheep, provided food and water for them, took care of them when they were tired, hurt, or sick, rescued them when they strayed. Uh, The shepherd actually knew the names of their sheep and in every way simply loved them. Jesus is our shepherd, and we are his sheep. Jesus is adequate for every need his sheep might have. And when God's people follow their shepherd, they have everything they need and lack nothing in life. A shepherd leads his sheep. Now, in the Old Testament, the word lead, when associated with Jesus as the coming Messiah, is actually best translated to lead gently. See, it's impossible to force the sheep to go where you want them to go. Instead, what they do is they learn the shepherd's voice and they follow him as he gently leads. As the church, we follow the voice of our good, great, and chief shepherd through the counsel of his word and by the leading of his spirit. Through the counsel of God's word, we learn from Jesus to live like Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. We learn from Jesus to live our lives like Jesus. And as we grow in our walk with Christ, as we grow in faith, then we're called to help others, to teach others, to equip others, to do the same. That's what it means to be a disciple who makes disciples. Jesus is the one who lays his life down, cares for, prepares a place for, and equips his church for ministry. So a quick recap today. Truth number one, as the head of the church, Jesus is the ultimate authority over the church. Truth number two, as the head of the church, Jesus is the one who builds the church. And number three, as the head of the church, Jesus is the good shepherd who lays his life down for the church. The great shepherd who cares for the church. And the chief shepherd who is preparing a place in heaven for his church and will one day return in glory. Friends, Jesus is the head of the church. And because he's the head of the church, it's absolutely vital that we are a church who loves Jesus, obeys Jesus lives like Jesus and follows Jesus at all times and in all ways according to the teaching of his word. Next week, we're going to start talking about human leadership in the church. And what we'll see is that leadership in the church is little more than qualified Christians who are following Jesus and encouraging others to do the same. And because of this, church leaders must be faithful sheep who follow their shepherd, Jesus before they're fit to lead others under Jesus. As we learn about and discuss the different roles that serve in leadership in the church, we have to keep our focus on Christ, keep our eyes focused on him, because Jesus is the head of the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church.